I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Lime, L-I-M-E, Lime Banks. Bike Banks? No, not Lime Banks. Lime Bikes. I'm seeing Lime Bikes all over town. My goodness gracious, I don't know who owns this franchise or whatever, but I'm seeing these bicycles. That's those kind of bikes that you can, for a buck, you can take it for a ride and I guess go as far as you want or whatever it happens to be. So, whoa, like I say, Lime Bikes all over the place. Anyway, welcome. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. We get together on Saturday morning and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your gardens, your houseplants, whether to use a potting mix, how to improve your soil, pruning, bugs. Oh, the bugs are starting to come out. I was at a house this past week and oh, mugle pines, pine saw flies were eating a lot of the needles off their pine tr- Mugle Pines. Planting removals, planting insulation. And remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that is effort on your part, both physical and mental. This is a marathon with the plant material. There's no getting around it. Yes, there are quick sprints. That's when you go buy something and just kind of leave it in the pot and don't do anything. And when it dies, it dies. You throw it away. So anyway, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for Missouri Gardener Magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, well, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and my email address and phone number is there, and that's how I can be reached. So today I'm headed to South County after Creve Corps. So that's Creve Corps and then South County off Kennerly Road. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I never really know where I'm going to go for my good gardening stroll. I kind of wait until I have breakfast. I'm kind of sitting there and I think, hmm, I haven't been here for a while or I have been here. or I know this is probably going to be pretty dramatic right now. So that's kind of how I decide. So I headed east and then I went north on Grand. Then I went east again on Merrimack. And I ended up at Merrimack and Broadway. There, an old historic pavilion with red tile roof. And arch openings. And, the, I mean, the structure is painted very, very nicely. Kind of a dark yellow. And the brick detailing over the windows make the windows look like they're arched, even though they're not. Daffodil foliage and spent flowers say, See you next spring. Boxwood hedge and foundation planting soften the facade on the south side of the pavilion. Dandelion heads. Oh, it must have been striking just a week or two ago when all those dandelion yellow flowers were all over the place. 
But now they're there ready to send the seeds out everywhere. Those airborne seeds are just totally spectacular. And uh, newly planted bald cypress say, hooray, I'm glad I finally found a home. Sparrows and doves, boy, they're singing to the sunrise. While a squirrel checks out a toppled trash can. I like when they go into the trash cans. This one had fallen over. And they kind of like, well, I don't really like what's in this bag. I don't like what's in this bag. Whoa! I mean, they're very, very picky eaters. You don't think of them that way, but they really are. The Playground by uh, Miracle Recreation Equipment. It goes from here to there to everywhere. All kinds of swings and stuff. And there's actually artificial cliffs to climb. And the surface has a nice cushioned softness. So when you come flying out of something or you happen to fall, you're going to be protected because it's soft. And uh, there's sycamore trees, ash trees, oaks, and maples. The foliage is really infilling and making everything look nice. This particular location has two baseball fields. They're saying, let's play ball. Several more bald cypress have been planted, and they're establishing themselves in the new home. A pigeon flies and lands on the pavilion's chimney. Sun pushes through the clouds, and a half moon sinks in the southern sky. There are, guess what, pieces of chalk, which were, I guess, just left so somebody can color the sidewalk around the playground or any place. The crab apples that have dotted the landscape, well, they no longer have petals. And along the street... In other places as well, Missouri forest relief trees have been planted, and especially on Broadway. And, well, where am I today? Well, this is called Minnie Wood Memorial Square. And there's a sign that's embraced by some deciduous shrubs right along Broadway that announces Minnie Wood Memorial Square. I don't know why it's called Memorial Square. I, who knows? But that's where I was today, and it's a great place along Broadway and Merrimack. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Those annual cool season weeds, you know, the ones that germinate in mid to late August, grow all through the wintertime and explode as far as flowering and everything goes in the springtime. Well, with this heat, some of them are starting to disappear. So those are plants like henbit. Inbit is one that looks has a square stem. It uh, looks it's in the mint family, so that's you know basically why it looks the way it does. And it has a purplish flower. There's also the chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell, which has a small bluish flowers. There's actually a type of clover, shepherd's purse. Those are all some of the cool season annual weeds. So in other words, annuals mean when it gets hot, they go. I can't handle this. And they just die. But during the course of the time before they die, after they've germinated, they've also dropped a heck of a lot of seeds. And those seeds will lay there all summer long. The seeds don't care if it's hot. They don't care anything else. They don't care herbicides don't impact them or anything until August. And then finally in August, they germinate again. So actually somebody had sent me a picture of henbit. And said, what is this? It keeps invading in my herb garden area and all this other stuff all over the place. And I've seen some great fields of henbit. And, uh, you know, if it's <laughs> if you don't mind it, that's fine. But just realize that it is going to get more and more and more and more and more. 
because it self-seeds and the colony gets bigger. So H-E-N-B-I-T, you can check it out online if you don't know exactly which plant I'm talking about. Let's go now to St. Peter's for the first call and go into Helen's yard. Hi, Helen. Hi, good morning. I got a quick question for you about my tomatoes that I planted. I planted them probably the end of April. I took a chance to plant them that early. Yes, you did. And I plant, (laughs) yeah. And uh, well, my grandkids were here and they wanted to help. I planted early girls, and and they are about 12 inches high. Mm -hmm. My question is, one of them already has a bloom on it. Should I keep the bloom, or should I take the bloom off so it grows better? Uh, Probably I would just pinch it off. Early girl just means they're going to produce flowers and fruits a little bit early. But one that's, you know, that's small, even if it would be pollinated, I would not want the weight of any kind of fruit, you know, starting to put some stress on the plant material. I'm assuming you have them staked or caged and everything else. They're caged. Oh, yeah, they're caged. Okay. Yes. Well, you, I mean, just let it go and see what, you know, what happens if you want well, to. I was, afraid, I was afraid that maybe it would take all the nourishment into that one bloom and the rest of it wouldn't grow so well. Well, it's, are you fertilizing, first of all? I haven't yet. Okay. I, I just, yeah. yeah, if they've been in the ground for over uh, for a month, you should be fertilizing at least once a month with tomato well, food. Okay. Because, because the tomato food has some of the micronutrients like calcium and stuff that prevents blossom and rot and some of the other problems as well. We, we get great tomatoes every year. All right, great. Every year we get them. Yes, yes. But I was just afraid. I've never had a, a bloom this, this early. Right. It's probably so because of the warm. you think I should just go ahead and pinch it? Yeah, I would take it off. Okay. And okay. anything after this, I would go ahead and let them go. And just okay. so, you know, the stems are really thick and, you know, everything coming up out of the ground. you got them caged yeah. so you're doing everything yeah. just right. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, great. Bye-bye. And now let's go to University City. That's where Jody lives. Hi, Jody. Hi, how are you? Good. I have container garden, containers where I'm growing uh, vegetables and herbs. But this is like my fourth year, and I thought you said in the past that you really didn't need to replace the soil, but I was going to check to see if maybe I need to either replace, add to. The soil is one that also helps to retain the moisture. It it has a moisture um, additive to it, um, and it has fertilizer already in it. So this is the same one that's been in the pots all these years. Well, those elements are already gone. So they basically last just for one season. So okay. uh, the fertilizing and everything else, you're, you're going to have to do some fertilizing. And the moisture retention, that's, you know, that sort of dissolves itself, too. Okay. So, so do I need to add more soil to it? Do I need to? Well, okay. it's, you know, personal choice. I always like, you know, with my pots, I generally, you know, I keep the same potting mix in them year after year after year, except I do take out about 25% each year, and I put that in, let's say, Rubbermaid tubs, do other stuff with that, maybe even put it in a different pot. But I do add some to my soil, to my pots every year. Any place, and I'm not saying it has to be 25%. Right. But I just do, you know, I just add a little bit, and I don't know if it makes that much difference. But this idea of, you know, throwing it out and starting all over again, it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. All right. And now let's go to Joyce, and Joyce lives in St. Louis. Hi, Joyce. Yes, good morning. Hi. Um, I had a lot of bad spots in my uh, yard, and I put gra- um, grass seeds and, um, and 
got grassy and it's got tough, you know, dirt. Dirt only. And can I put, since I put grassy, when can I put the weed kill, weed uh, stuff down? Bert, virtually, first of all, did you rake the soil up at least before you put the seed down and whatever oh, else yeah, you put yeah. down? Okay, so you yeah, raked it. Okay, now has the grass seed germinated? I just put it down. Okay, so no, do not. You're taking a big chance regardless of what kind of weed killer you put down because even a broadleaf weed killer is not supposed to impact lawn, but in newly germinated seed, it could have a bad impact on that. So I would say, you know, you're just going to have to sort of live with whatever weed scenario, unless you're just talking about spot treatment out of the bare areas where you've put the seed in. But if you're talking about broadcasting any kind of weed killer whatsoever, I would not do that probably for quite a while. Until this seed germinates, it gets pretty well established, which is going to take a couple weeks after it germinates. Then think about putting any kind of weed killer down. But prior to that, you could be doing some, in other words, you might, it may work out fine. But you may be in a situation where all your effort, all your money, mental money, real money, and everything else is just all for naught because you're virtually killed it so off with the herbicide. The, the, just wait to put the other coat up. I put the, the first coat on six weeks ago, so I have just wait to put the second one on. Yes, right. Uh, uh, okay, how vicious. When you buy them, you have to bring them in the winter, right? They won't survive. Exactly. There are varieties of hibiscus that are durable that can stay outside but the ones that generally you buy in pots that kind of look like trees or shrubs they cannot survive outside so how do you know which one do survive uh if they're let's say the ones that uh survive will have huge flowers on them about nine inches across and they're quite you know they're fairly low they're about two feet high only they don't have trunks on them like trees or anything like that oh, and they're perennials so they're called like disco bell and some th- things along that line so i have to look on the label to see right but okay. for the most part most of the hibiscus that are sold in the let's say the perennial type hibiscus are going to be where the perennial plants are they're not going to be mixed in with the, let's say, other tropicals, other houseplants, and other things that you do have to bring inside. Oh, okay. So when I bring them in and put them on the light for the winter, they'll stay right. Yeah, as long as they're getting enough light. But with hibiscus, just realize that they really don't like it inside on our homes for whatever reason, oh. even in front of a bright sunny window with grow lights and everything else. Anticipate the fact that a lot of the leaves are going to drop off of it, and it will flower a little bit inside, but it's not going to provide you with anything like it does in the summertime outside here. So it's just best not to try to say, though. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. I fooled yeah, around with them, oh. you know, off and on for, and I just haven't seen, you know, seen any of them. And I have major, you know, fluorescent grow lights and all that kind of stuff, and it doesn't seem to make much difference at all. Okay, I, uh, you know, I told you about all those knockouts and that. I don't know what it was. They talking about it was so cold. So I bought me some new ones. Should I put the compost down in the dirt first while I put the other ones in? Uh, you you could mix it in with the soil, certainly. Yeah. Uh, what about that peat moss? Can I use that with? No, don't just do, don't do peat moss, not don't by itself. It. Okay. Well, thanks, Joyce. Greatly appreciate it. And now let's go to Ann in West County. Ann, how are you? Fine, thank you. Um, I have violets coming up in my yard all of a sudden, and someone told me if you dug them up, they would just multiply more. Is that true? 
Uh, not necessarily. What happens is violets have two different ways of producing seed. They have the flower, which historically like produces most, you know, most plants produce from the flower. But also right as the stems go into the ground and it meets the crown. So in other words, the root system, there's, there's a little seed head that looks kind of like, you know, looks like a kind of an upside down J. If later in the season you get those seed heads, a lot of times if you dig them, it can, you know, trigger that seed head to pop open. And so that's when the problem is. But this early in the season, if you dig them, you shouldn't have any problems at all. Is digging the best way to do it rather than putting some sort of weed killer type thing on them? Well, it's a personal choice. I dig mine, and, but I've had to dig for several years. Now, this is where Tracy and I have a battle. She loves violets. I say the violets get too aggressive. They overrun too many different things. So I've been slowly but surely digging them, and I say, just walk across the street to the park, and then you can see all the violets you want to. So. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So dig them up and get rid of them. Okay. Yeah, Thank you. Right. Okay. And then also, what you can do uh, you know, with violets, if you've got individual ones, you can just go out there, s- step on them, twist your foot to open up some wounds, and then you can use like a broadleaf weed killer on them and kill them that way. So it works quite well. And now let's go to Belleville, first time in Illinois today, into Phil's yard. Hi, Phil. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, hey, uh, I've got a fast question. I've got a dwarf Alberta spruce. I bought two, three years ago. One's very healthy. But one of them, uh, from the top down, say going down one-third, is pure brown with no green leaves at all. But the bottom two-thirds of the plant is extremely green and healthy. I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's on its way out. But what I did, I replaced it with another plant and put the the one with the trouble in the backyard where I've got full sun just to see what would happen mm-hmm. to the rest of the plant. Do you see that thing ever coming back, or is it a goner? Basically, it's a goner. Uh, usually when things start, you know, turning brown from the top down, and especially conifers, that means there's something really messed up with the root system. Either there was water sitting around it, the root system never got established, or whatever it was. And then consequently, it's, you know, once the you know top dies for a conifer, especially Alberta spruce, which is a kind of a natural let's say, genetic hybrid. That's why it looks the way it does with those little short needles and kind of stocky looking. It would yeah. have to put out a side shoot and reestablish itself, and that's ju- I just don't ever really see that happen all that often. Now, on the ones that I have, same plants, uh, the good ones, if I want to stunt the growth and keep them at a certain height, is that a good thing to take the little tip of the top off or never do that to an Alberta spruce? You probably shouldn't do it because any any conifer or really any evergreen, you'll notice if you look in the inner, in, let's say the interior inside where there's boxwood, where there's Alberta spruce or anything else, there's no needles in there. So if you keep plucking off the new growth, so in other words, the new candles, ultimately there's not going to be anything happening. And so consequently, uh, you're just going to end up with a bunch of sticks. I see. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, thanks a lot for all your, you, you do for the St. Saint, the Saint Louis area and your garden show. Well, Bye. thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Let's head up to Westport and go into Chuck's yard. Chuck, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Hi. I've got... I've got a lot of questions, but my most urgent problem this morning is two years ago, I've got a zoysia yard, and two years ago I got hit with that chinch bug 
problem that's been going around. Right. And I lost about 15% of the yard, maybe 350 square feet. Ooh. So my debate going into the summer now is do I sod it or do I plug it? And I know that obviously sod is an instant lawn versus plugs. Right. But I also understand that sod is a little bit, requires a little bit more attention and preparation than plugs do. And I just wanted to get your opinion about that. Well, to be honest with you, a plug is just a tiny piece of sod. So there's no difference. So as far as the amount of attention and everything, there's really not that much difference. As far as watering, fertilizing, and everything else, they're both going to take the same amount. It's not like seed versus sod. So it's a personal choice as much, you know, as much as anything else. The plugs are fine. You know, it's just up to you. You put them about uh, six inches apart. It's going to take about three years for them to fill in, three-plus years. Nine inches apart, add another year or two. Twelve inches apart, add another blah, 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 blah after, you know, after that as far as to be able to get a nice, solid lawn. And just make sure that you're taking care of the insect circumstance as well because you don't want to get this in and have, you know, let's say this attack of the chinch bugs again, and you're back to ground zero. Right. Well, that's why I waited a whole year since it has been two years. So I think that's under control. But in terms of if I do sod then, do I need to lay down a layer of new dirt underneath it? You need to lay down like a combination of topsoil and compost mixture, not just dirt. And you need to mix it in with the existing soil. That's why, you know, sod will make a lot, a little bit more work where when you're just putting plugs in, you're just kind of improving that one little two-by-two area before you put the new plug down into the hole. Where with the sod, you're going to have to virtually, you should get rid of pretty much any of the debris and anything else that's on the surface, you know, by scalping it. Then get a, you know, compost topsoil mix, blend it in, and then lay the sod down on top of that. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, because, I mean, it's just going to be more work if you do the sod, but it's just instant gratification, as you pointed out. Let's go now to Elizabeth, and she lives in Afton. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a problem with onion grass coming back to my flower garden every year. How, how's the best way to get rid of it? Uh, how patient are you? Um, oh, fairly patient. Okay. I would go out there. I would. Are you anti-Roundup? No. Okay. So I would just get, you know, concentrated Roundup, and I would just put it in a bowl. I would go out, take the bowl with you, and a paintbrush. I'd go out, and each one of these clumps of onions, I would step on them and twist your foot till you open up a wound. Then I would take the Roundup and paint it right onto that, you know, that clump of, uh, you know, the problem onions. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, that it should, it, it's not going to eradicate all of them totally, but it's going to get you going in the right direction. And just every time you see more onions come up, just do the same thing over and over and over again. Okay. I'll start working on it. <laughs> That's brutal. I mean, there are some herbicides that do help with the control of the, uh, you know, the onions. But if you want to just, I don't want to say you want instant results, but if you want results that you can see within a few days, this is going to work much better than even some of the products that I mentioned on air. This is, you know, this is the way that's proven best for me over the last 40-plus years. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Chester, Illinois, and Steve lives there. Hi, Steve. Hi there. You was talking about those uh, seeds that lay dormant 
all winter long, or they start growing in the winter time, right? In your yard. Well, they start growing uh, in August. Actually, they yeah, germinate yeah, in the, August, right? Uh-huh. And I, I didn't catch if you said what to kill them with or prevent them. Basically, a pre-emergent. So the pre-emergent has to go down in August. Okay. So that the problem with that is a lot of people put grass seed down in their lawn areas, and then consequently you can't put the pre-emergent. So it's like, is this sort of hen bit or this annual cool season, you know, weed really driving me nuts? So I might just get rid of that and then go after the overseeding of the lawn the following May or something like along that line. Okay. What would you recommend for that? As far as a pre-emergent, it's personal. Yeah. Cho- you know, there's several different pre-emergents. They all pretty much the same. I'd go to your favorite garden center there in Chester and ask them. You know, I've got this situation that happens in August. What pre-emergent do you have that you would recommend? Okay, great then. Thank you. Yeah, I would not use preen. P R E E N. Preen is for planting beds. It's not for lawn. It works. For some reason, they don't recommend using it in a lawn area. But there's all kinds of different uh, pre-emergence that will work really well for you. So thanks, Steve. Now let's come back, not so far away, into South County, and that's where Dave lives. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Uh, Mike, I've got a, a white birch tree that's about 15, 20 feet tall. It's a very young tree. And it, last, it was a beautiful tree until last summer. Uh a utility company board underneath or uh, about four feet away from it. Ooh. And uh, now the only thing that came back this year was about three or four branches that have a few sparse regular leaves and the rest of the tree from lower branches all the way to the top is nothing. And I'm wondering, is, is there a chance this could come back or not? Well, there is a chance. But anytime you cut the root system, and I'm assuming they're cutting probably like maybe not a full 50% of the root system, but let's say 40% of the root system, and especially a younger tree and especially a white birch that doesn't necessarily like it here. It loves it in Vermont, but it doesn't like it all that much here. Consequently, it's, you know, it's on the cusp of having a really, really rough time on recovery. You could wait in, you know, for another month or so, but if the branches that don't come back you know, with any kind of foliage at all, they're dead. So you can cut those off, and then you can decide from an aesthetic standpoint, oh, I just, you know, this is just not working. So, you know, and decide if you want to take the thing down, replace it with another tree or something else. Well, it's from about eight, or I guess six or seven feet off the ground. From there up, there's nothing. Ooh. <laughs> Even the whole, the whole trunk is, is uh, there's just no leaves. Uh. The, the old... The old leaf that was going to fall is still hanging on there from last year. But right. The, um, I think it's dead. Yep, you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's no getting around it. <laughs> I might as well just cut it down. Right, exactly. Okay, and, Mike. Yeah, it's unfortunate, Thanks. but, I mean, the root system and the above-ground growth, they have to be kind of in balance as far as their size, even though you don't think of it that way, because the root systems uptake nutrients and moisture, send it up to the leaves, and the leaves then use sunlight to make food and say, here you go, roots, here you go, trunk, here you go, branches, and everybody else. It shares it. But if the root system's you know, biomass has been disturbed like this, even though you think, well, why would that have an impact even as the leaves are just coming out? Well, it does have an impact. And it's just going to be, and especially like on a tree that's somewhat marginally hardy. So let's, oh, oh, 
this. Well, maybe we should just take a break rather than heading. John will talk to you right after the break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, everybody, it's Charlie Brennan encouraging you to listen daily between 8.30 and 11. Pay special attention at 8.59, 9.59, and 10.59. Just before the KMOX News, I'll give you the $1,000 payday keyword. As part of a nationwide contest, we'll be giving you a chance to win $1,000 by simply texting the keyword to 72881. Message and data rates apply. Don't text and drive. Complete rules at KMOX.com. The $1,000 payday keyword. Daily at 859, 959, and 1059 on The Charlie Brennan Show on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So, not, you know, I've been talking about the cool season weeds, the hen bit and all those characters, the chickweed. Chickweed's starting to fry for sure. The hen bit's holding up a little bit better due to the heat. But as this stuff goes down, the warmness brings, guess what? The warm season weeds. And the warm season weeds, those are the ones that start germinating when the ground starts warming up. That's things like ragweed, purslane, knotweed, um, violets, of course. You know, we already got those. Crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, plantain. There's all kinds of, and black medic which kind of looks like a clover, except it has a yellowish flower, so it's not really in the clover family. Not that the color makes that much difference. But they, uh, you know, those are the pre-emerging, those are the weed seeds that germinate way, uh, actually a while ago, when the forsythia was in bloom. So to put a pre-emergent down to control them now may help a little bit, but for the most part, they're already up and chugging. So just realize that. Let's head out and go into Chesterfield and see if we can find out where John lives. Hi, John. Hello. I Hi. live by Chesterfield Mall. All right. <laughs> hey, I, about 10 years ago, I started a platting bed about 10 square feet with daffodils. I like to call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a dozen plants. And every year after they get done blooming, I'd separate them and spread them out. For the last two years, I haven't been paying attention. But now it looks like a 10-square-foot area of two-foot-tall grass. <laughs> And only about 20% are blooming. How do I figure out which ones to pull out to help the bloom next year? Uh, basically, they probably, you know, 10 years is a long time for daffodils to last. So even though because they've been, even the varieties are the same ones that were planted, let's say, 50, 60 years ago, and you can go in older neighborhoods, and you still see them coming up and blooming and everything else. The newer, you know, the new ones just don't seem to have the life, you know, the life length. So to figure out which ones are, you know, that you should dig, you know, not, you know, let's say get rid of, is just go out there and kind of, you know, when the foliage gets about half brown, you're still going to be able to see the ones that had the flower on them because the flower will still be there, even though it'll be right. brown and everything else. Just okay. d- dig up the rest of them and get rid of them. Okay, so look for the, the dead flower stalk. Right, exactly. Okay. And the that ones that have the dead flower stalk, <laughs> dead flower stalk indicates that they actually flowered, you know, this past spring. Okay. All right. I don't know why I didn't figure that out myself, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to trick me. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, thanks, John. All right. So, yeah. Yep. And now let's go to Joyce. Joyce, I'm sorry. I think we cut you off. You had one more question. 
Hello, Joyce? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Go ahead. I have these boxwoods out there, and they just like a lime green. How can I get them to the dark green? Basically, what happened is your soil pH is too salty, too alkaline. So you need to go to your favorite garden center and get something called iron sulfate and read the label and sprinkle it around the base of the plant. So iron sulfate. How you spell the last? S-U-L-F-A-T-E. Oh, I've seen that. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, right, okay. Oh, the roundup, the, um, how can you kill old ivy you're trying to get rid of? Can you use the roundup? Yeah, you can, but basically what you need to do is have somebody mow it or something to, you know, damage it a little bit or stomp on it, then put the roundup on it. Because it's against the fence. It's so hard. It's wrapping around the fence. Right. I'm, trying to get it. I'm not going to bat so it. So just up. take a baseball bat out there and hit on it. All you want to do is open up some wounds in the leaves okay, and then spray you, the Roundup. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. Thanks, Joyce. And now let's head out to Holiday Shores. Actually, I've been there for a couple of consultations and into Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I had to have a 100-year-old oak tree. I don't know if you remember that or not, cut down. And I want to plant another tree that well, not there. I know it needs to be away a bit. Uh, it needs to go in an area that only has about 20 feet between a flagstone patio and a very steep hillside that has large boulders as a retaining wall. And I have two questions. Could the roots from a new tree push on the hillside and flagstone patio and cause damage? Because I don't want to damage the landscaping. But I need a tree. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could, but it's not going to happen instantaneously. So it's going to be several okay. years before the root system could do some damage. Okay, like maybe 15 or 20? Yeah. And what you can do, though, is just get a tree that has a more friendly root system that wouldn't cause that problem. So, you know, I mean, if you okay, want to plant another shade tree. Yeah. So if you want a shade tree, then they're going to have to be big enough. And those are the kind of trees that do have root systems that basically go out as far as the branches go out. So those are the ones that cause more problems. So if you're trying to get shade as a result of a tree, you understand how long it's going to take, you know, before you're really going to get shade off. Even if you buy a larger tree brought in with a tree spade, it's still going to be a couple years, like okay. multiple years. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my second question. Uh, I wanted a tree that's not too soft, but not a real slow grower. And I was kind of thinking about a red maple, but that would be a... a problem possibly damaging the landscaping right right but i mean anything that's going to you know be let's say a classic shade tree whether it's an ash whether it's an elm whether it's an oak whether it's a maple that they're all going to have big huge extensive root systems yeah depth wise is not the problem so if it's because you want to shade on your patio i'd say get an umbrella and just get a smaller ornamental type tree okay that, that sounds like good advice Okay, well, thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate it. Certainly. And, uh, you know, one of the trees you might consider, to, I mean, there's a couple different trees that are really, you know, kind of nice. You know, the service berry is one that blooms before the dogwoods do, so that would give you some color. And, you know, in this situation, I mean, there's all kinds of different trees. You saw the crab apples, how spectacular they were this year. You want something that blooms in the summertime. There's something called a golden rain tree. So there's several different types of trees, so you can just go online and look for you know, ornamental trees and decide which one you would prefer for yourself. So thanks, Kathy. And now let's go to Lisa, and Lisa is in St. Louis. Hi, Lisa. 
Hi there. I have some lavender that's a few years old, and I want to know, like right now it looks really yucky. Is there, do you cut it back at all, or does it just get kind of leggy and then it fills in? <laughs> well, it doesn't really fill in all that well. Even if it's a Munstead variety of lavender, which is in theory hardy for this region, sometimes they're really iffy. So some years you may have several, you know, several years in a row that have fairly good success with them coming back. But slowly but surely, they kind of lose their aesthetics. Oh, so there is no maintenance as far as making it look nicer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, take a picture and have it blown up and just sit it right there in front of it. (laughs) No, No, I mean, there really isn't. And the reason why I'm saying this, too, is because when I was at the Botanical Garden, one of the areas of my responsibility, the main area was the Woodland Garden, but I helped you know, in the herb garden behind, you know, Tower Grove House, Henry Shaw's home. And mm-hmm. the Herb Society took care of that. And I saw, you know, the lavender year after year after year after year. And they were maintaining it, you know, as best as possible. It just, some years it just, you know, they, the plants just kind of got too old and just okay. kind of kaput. Okay. But there's no way to make them kind of bushy. No. Become leggy. No. I mean, you could try okay. it, but for the most part, you're not going to have much success. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if best way to go, if you want a bushy looking lavender is go to France. So I don't think you want to live there necessarily. And now it's Tom from Brentwood. Tom, how are you? I'm wonderful. How about you? Very good. Hey, I've got a question. I have a tree uh, that's in a backyard on a piece of property I own over in Illinois. And it's, oh, golly, the tree's been there probably 30 years. And when the tree was first there, it was just a small tree. Now it's full-blown grown, okay? <clears throat> and the roots are going underneath the driveway, and it's an asphalt driveway. And I guess my question is, is do I just need to just bear with that? Or uh, what happens if I chop out that portion of the root to level that driveway out? Well, were you listening a few minutes ago, the gentleman that uh, had a utility come through and on his birch tree, they cut the root system off and now the tree's dying. So you start cutting a bunch of the roots off, you know, because it potentially can do some damage. Then you are just asking for the tree to maybe it won't kill it off. Maybe it'll recover. But for the most part, that's not a good thing to do. Okay, so just just live, live with the hump in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And hopefully you're not a skateboarder or something like that, so you don't have to worry about going down the, you know, the driveway on your skateboard and hitting that hump because that could throw you flying. So, yeah, other than that, it's not really too much you can do. Yeah, okay. Well, I think I'd rather have the tree for the, you know, because it looks nice in the backyard. Right. So. All right, well, thanks. Certainly. And, folks... You know, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.